This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. The Adventures of Harry Lyme is an old-time radio program produced in the United Kingdom during the 1951-52 season. The Adventures of Harry Lyme, one of the most successful series created by prolific British radio producer Harry Allen Towers and his company, Towers of London. Once again, Orson Welles stars in this show and the episode tonight, The Painted Smile. Presenting Orson Welles as the third man. The lives of Harry Lyme. The fabulous stories of the immortal character, originally created in the story The Third Man, with Zither music by Anton Karras. I've got a story for you. A story about a canvas cloud, a tinsel world, and bloody murder. And if that wasn't enough, it all happened in Taormina, which is in Sicily. I know it happened because I saw it. Call the story The Painted Smile. Stick around. the third man in today's story, The Painted Smile. I've always had a fondness for the exception that breaks the rule. Maybe it's because I like to break rules myself. Take a smile, for instance. One of the intangibles of life, so everyone says. But what about that smile of the Cheshire Cats? That grin hung around long after Puss had vanished. You call that intangible? Like the smile I'm going to tell you about. The horrid humor of that painted smile lingered long after the man who wore it was quite dead. As I'd come to Tarmina for a holiday, the circumstances were ideal. I had some extra cash in my pocket, the climate was fine, 
and the local police were completely disinterested in me. But I no sooner entered my room at the San Domenico Hotel, was testing the mattress, as a matter of fact, when a long-bladed Sicilian knife whispered past my ear and wickedly winked at me from the bedpost. Since I was naturally somewhat curious, I turned rather quickly, and standing there in the doorway was a slim man with pale brown hair, pale monkey eyes, and the face of a tragedian. Why, Tony, <laughs> you old clown. Harry, you old devil, what bring you to Tarmina? Money, money, old friend. The climate, a certain weariness, and this happens to be one of the last places in the world where Harry Lyme is welcome. <laughs> you? Same old reason. The circus is playing here. A circus in Sicily? Mm -hmm. Isn't that bringing coals to Newcastle, old man? Not everyone is laughing and happy in Sicily, and clowning is my business. I was born to make people laugh. A clown. Yes, you were born the greatest con man of them all. No, Harry. I have a certain talent for crime, perhaps late of hand, facility with a knife, but not the heart. I'm afraid I'm an honest man, Harry. <laughs> all the more reason to be my guest tonight, Tony. Share the pleasure my first night in Tarmina. To the contrary, hmm? you shall be mine. I'll serve you Sicilian pasties for hot dogs, champagne for pink lemonade, introduce you to every freak on the midway, and seat you in a box for the main show. How would you like that, eh? Yes, I'd, I'd like that. But just this night, I'll step inside your canvas cloud, old man, pop the enchanted peanut in my mouth, and enter the circus heaven of youth. <laughs> I believe every gilded angel and tinsel queen I see smell the animals, walk the sawdust stairway to the stars. Yes, Tony, I'll be happy to accept your invitation to the circus. And who could ask for a better host than a clown? We left the midway crowd, the lights and the blaring calliope. And the growl of jungle beasts came to me. We approached a small dressing tent. Then the clown humbly called for his friend. Nola! Nola! Are you in there? You again, Antonio? What is it? I want to see you. You will see me later. Go away. But I have a surprise for you, Nola. A wonderful surprise. A surprise? A present, perhaps? The canvas flap snapped back and she stepped into the yellow glare of the lamps. Nola. Hair as black as though it had been poured out of an ink bottle. Body sinuous, graceful. Like a cat's. She was like a cat, and her ice-gray eyes flared strangely when she looked at me. So this is your wonderful surprise, Antonio. Nola, this is Harry Lyme, my friend. I'm always happy to meet a friend. The way she said it, the way she was looking at me, made it seem like we were all alone, just Nola and me. I know a kind of female... I also knew that Tony was in for a bad time. Funny thing, he knew it too. He told me about it a little later while he was putting on his clown makeup. So you feel sorry for me, Harry? Well, I don't feel one way or the other about anyone, but if you fancy Nola for yourself, you're a chump, old man. I know, I know. Oh? And you like to be kicked in the teeth, is that it? Look at me, my friend. What is there about me for a woman to love? There is a great deal about Nola to love. Mm -hmm. To admire, to desire, yeah. To love? Uh-uh. You're forgetting something. I am? 
whole clown suffer? Oh, yes. Paint a smile that. on their face to hide a broken heart. Ah, really, old man, don't be trite. Nola's like a fever in the blood, a disease. She's not good for me, perhaps, but the pain of loving her is better than the ecstasy of loving any other woman. I agree with you, Tony. You never, never would have made a good confidence man. You think the clown white has gone deeper than my face? That my thinking has become as theatrical as my profession? <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. Ah, but the show is about to begin. Help me with my wig, Harry. Oh, there you are. Ah, am I not the funny man? Yeah, very funny. See you later, my friend. Now Antonio must go to clown and dance like a puppet. While Nola pulls the strings, hmm? Laugh, clown, laugh. You poor schmooze. It wasn't a very big circus, but it looked like the greatest thing on earth to the folks in Tarmina. They laughed at Tony's antics till they cried, moved, nodded at the trapeze performers, and gasped at Nola's animal act. Then came the grand climax. Cage, Tony pantomimed his bravery to the crowd. He cracked his whip, he strutted, he, he proved to himself at least that he was afraid of nothing on four legs. And then a smaller cage was rolled in and opened on the main cage, and another clown in the costume of the black puma sprang inside with Tony. First, my friend was terrified, then he saw the puma was as frightened as he, and they made friends and waltzed around the cage together as the audience screamed with mirth. It was as simple as that. But Tony's clowning was touched with genius, and his performance, it was... All the posturing and heartbreak and fear of the world. And by conquering his fear in the shape of the puma, he put a happy ending to his story, and everybody went home happy. That was everybody but Tony. I saw him after the show waiting for Nola. She ran up from the main tent, still carrying her animal whip. Nola! Nola! Get out of my way! But, Nola, I must talk Take your hands off me! Let me go! Her whip, cruel and quick as a puma's claw, cut across his face. I could see a livid wheel rising under his clown white. But Tony took it, took it silently, just looked after Nola with big guys. And he saw me. Thanks for the show, Tony. It was swell, but uh, the rest of the night's on me. Now, let's do Tarmina, hmm? Like men. You, you will excuse me tonight, my friend. Tomorrow I'll come to the hotel. Tomorrow. <laughs> I went back to my monastic cell to do some thinking. I say cell, call it that, because the Hotel San Domenico in Taormina was in the 16th century a monastery. And now in the 20th century, it's a very unmonk-like character walked its sacred tiles and pondered on human passion. And then... I had no reason not to answer the door. Yeah? Hello. She was small, very young, very dewy. You know, the moonlight for hair and stars for eyes sort of thing. You are Mr. Harry Lyon? I am. I am Therese. Oh, that's enchanting. You will invite me in. 
I would speak with you. Well, uh, I can't imagine a more satisfactory conversation. I will sit here. If you like. It's all very femme fatale and very intriguing, but uh, how do you happen to know my name? I asked the manager. Hmm. And they do make things easy, as I mean, don't they? What? Oh, it's unimportant. I just arrived at the hotel a while ago. I am staying here, too. Alone? Oh, yes. Oh, I see. You do know Antonio Vega? Antonio? Oh, sly dog. You're another one of his girls, is that it? I am his only girl. Oh, of course, of course. I am his <laughs> daughter. Oh. The manager told me that Papa was here to see you this afternoon. He said you were his old friend. <laughs> <laughs> Is that so funny? No, no, don't start that again. I came to you, Mr. Lyme, because I could not find Papa. He wrote to me he was going to be here. He is a traveling salesman, tra you know. Oh, no. So when school closed for vacation, instead of staying there as usual, I thought I'd come here and surprise Papa. Papa and me, hmm? Hasn't he told you about me? Uh, yes, oh, yes, he... Of course. Then you know where he is. I can go to him. Well, uh, as it so happens, your father's coming to the hotel tomorrow, my dear. Why don't you wait for him here and really surprise him, hmm? What a wonderful idea. Oh, Mr. Lyme, I could kiss you. Oh, no. Lime returns in just a moment. Wells as Harry Lyme, the third man, continues in today's story, The Painted Smile. Teresa didn't know her father's real profession any more than I'd known Tony had a daughter. My clown friend was beginning to interest me more and more, a man of many lives, one of those still waters run deep boys. And in spite of the sheltered life he'd lavished on Teresa, she'd walked into the finest emotional trap the devil himself could set. What to do? I breakfasted with the young lady on the terrace. Well, very popular, very public. Harry, is that you? Oh, oh, pardon me, you are busy. Papa! Oh, Papa! Therese! Oh, kiss her, Tony. Go on. I'm sure I would if I had such a daughter. Oh, it's so wonderful to see you, Papa. Be with you again. But the kitten, you, you should have stayed at the school. You are not glad to see me? Of course, of course, my darling. But, but my work, you know, I, I have so little time. That is why I always visited you instead of you coming to see me. If it's only one little minute of the day, it's worth it, Papa. Just to be near you. Oh, have a heart, Tony. Yes, she'll, she'll have me in tears. <gasps> Your cheek. Oh, Papa. 
What happened to your poor cheek? A terrible scar. Uh, it was an accident, Therese. Another reason why you must not stay. It is impossible. You understand the situation, oh, Harry. Sure, what old situation? Man, why should not a daughter be with her papa? It is impossible. He will go back to school like a good girl, yes? Or to the relatives in Naples. No! Therese? No! No, no, no! I will never leave you! Even if you don't want me around! Well, just who won that round, Tony, old man? What can I do, my friend? Why not tell her the truth? And bring her shame? <laughs> Therese thinks of me as a businessman, dignified, honorable... What would she say if her father told her that he was a clown? Well, you're going to have to tell her something. I said I was an honest man, my friend. That isn't true. Well, what do you do? Pick the pockets of the other clowns? I smuggle emeralds. Again? I smuggle emeralds. It was for her, Harry, Therese. How could I support her in such a fine fashion? Good clothes, private schools, on the earnings of a clown in a wandering circus. I hadn't thought about it much. Didn't even know your kitten existed, you see. So that is one of many things I haven't told you, my old friend. Forgive me. Oh, forgiven, but the, uh, the emeralds. You see, emeralds? I've been very successful in the smuggling trade, but very careful. Over the years, I've saved a small fortune. And now I want to ask you a favor. For the fortune? Anything, old man, for the fortune. <laughs> it's for Therese when she reaches 21. If anything should happen to me before, see that she gets it. Uh, why be so morbid? The way things are lately, you know, Harry, with my life, with Nola, I think my luck's changed. Well, how do you know I won't keep the fortune for myself, old man? The same way I know you won't inform on me to the police. <laughs> yeah. You, you figure this pot's too smart to call the kettle black, is that That's it? That's one way of putting it. <laughs> Come uh, to the circus tomorrow night, Harry. I'll show you where my savings are hidden. And Therese? Therese... I will think of something. Uh, better her heart should break a little now than learn the truth about me, and then... I'll meet you tomorrow night, Tony. I didn't like the way things were going. Not that Harry Lyons averse to learning the exact location of a man's fortune, but this particular collection of moolah seemed to have entirely too many strings attached to it. However... I decided to let tomorrow take care of itself. I was deep in the arms of Morpheus when... Oh. <sighs> yeah. Yes. What the devil do you mean, waking a man up in the middle of the night? That is Mr. Lime. Mr. Harry Lime. Uh, who's calling? This is Signor Borgia, Questore of Taormina, Department of Public Safety. The police? And it is not midnight, Mr. Lime, but nine o'clock in the morning. Well, that's a matter of opinion, sir. You will do me the great favor of coming to my office within the hour. Well, I'll do nothing of the sort, uh, Borgia. As I told you... You will come, or you will be come for. You are already under surveillance. Well, I'll do you the great favor, uh, Questore Borgia. Your generosity is exceeded only by your wisdom, Signor. Within the hour. I never argue with a policeman over the telephone, beyond a certain point. And when he bears the name of Borgia... Well, when in Tarmina, do what the Tarmaniacs do, I suppose. I visited the Questore. I found him a small, alert man, all spit and polish. He eyed me like a hungry robin views a fat word. Sit down. Sit down, Signor Lime. You are a friend of Antonio Vegas? Oh, Antonio must have, must have many friends, I should think. Too many. At one time, this Vegas was in your profession, a confidence man. Tony's a good clown. And a smart one. His buffoon makeup 
hides more than the proverbial broken heart, doesn't it? Does it? Vegas heads a smuggling ring, emeralds. Are you trying to tell me you know nothing about the traffic? I've never dabbled in emeralds, Borgia, old man. They're too hot for my blood. You refuse to admit that you are in partnership with Vegas? If what you said is true, well, I wish I was. Do not try to warn your friend. He will never leave Taormina. Well, they're worse places to live. Good morning, Signor Lime. Good morning. That mean I can go now? It does. Well, am I still under surveillance? Yes. Why? Oh, my holiday mood, that's all, old man. I hope your bloodhounds are broad-minded. Good morning. How is it that I always get into these things? Here I was about to do Tony a favor. And there was no profit in it for me at all. Well, I went to his dressing room that night and he showed me his fortune, all tucked away under a false bottom of his costume trunk and all in American bills of high denomination. It's a pity to see it lying there just doing nothing. Yeah, now that you know where the money is hidden, I'll replace the bottom. Tony, old boy, I still say I'm... I'm not in this. I... Not my kind of kind of caper. Send the nest egg to the relatives in Naples, hmm? I don't trust them. Oh, really? You know how it is with good people. Yeah. Southern wealth may change their natures completely. Whereas you say no more, old man. <laughs> and here is something else for you to see. Hidden in this bladder I use for one of my props. Emeralds. Perfectly cut. Some of them are as big as robin's eggs. I deal in nothing but the finest merchandise. Evidently. Uh, who's your fence? Lazzetti. Uh, the best. I find him to be the best. Tony, you're one of the few men I've ever underestimated. Who would suspect the clown? Yes, but I must warn you, Tony, that there are some who... You say Mr. Vegas is in this tent? Si, senorita. Yes, she must have followed me here. Quick, help me hide these. Yeah. Yes, Therese, you have found me. And now you know what your father really is. He's the best... A clown. I think it is too wonderful. Oh, Papa, did you think I would look down on you because you were a clown in a circus? It is much finer than a traveling salesman. You are angry because I found you out? Why should he be? What can I do, Harry? Well, I guess give her a pass to the show. <laughs> I'll take charge of her. Oh, thank you. Thank you. What can I do oh, to... Not... Am I intruding, Antonio? Nola. There were no introductions. I took Therese out of there as soon as possible. But before we left, I caught Nola's eyes on the emeralds. They narrowed like a cat's. The lady knew her way around gems as well as men. And that bothered me. The climate of Taormina had suddenly become very unhealthy. I would have quit the place that night if Borgia's bloodhounds hadn't been guarding every point of exit. Why is Papa going into that animal cage, Mr. Lyme? Oh, it's nothing. He's, he's pretending to... He's a cat trainer, you know, like Nola. <laughs> See how brave he is. Oh, oh, how funny he is. Yeah. How wonderful is my Papa? Oh, that's great. 
Tony's funniest routine began. He's giving the greatest performance of all his life because he's brought his new audience. The puma cage was squealed up to the main cage and the door opened. Out came the puma. But no costume clown this way. A very large, very live, and very vicious cat sprang into Tony's cage. It stood there a moment, lashing its tail and blinking in the lights. In that moment, before it sprang at my old friend, I saw Nola's face watching from the tent entrance. Her eyes wide, her lips drawn back in an animal smile. Her hands stretched before her like claws. So she were about to attack. No! 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 I was glad to see the police. The Puma was shot and killed. Nola was apprehended. What was left of Antonio Vegas was taken to the hospital tent. As I said, he found a way out of Tarmina. The hard way. No, don't. Don't cry, Kitten. It was an accident. No, it was no accident. Like this scar on your cheek. She did it. She did it. I did nothing. It was an accident. Somebody switched the cages. What do you mean? Well, Questore Borgia, I, I think I can prove differently. It wasn't you, an senor accident lies. at all. He lies? Antonio Vegas is my friend, Signora. You can understand that word, friend. Why should I lie? I saw you switch the cages deliberately. No, no, I did not. I did not. And I know why you did. No. Harry. It was because of jealousy. Jealous? Of that clown? Stop it! Stop it! You shall not laugh at my papa! Your... Your papa? Thank you. Thank you, Harry. Lime returns in just a moment. Somebody before me once pointed out that women are very curious creatures. You take Lola, for instance. Lola was quite prepared to murder the man she loved, just out of a fit of jealousy. Some women, of course, indulge in a more refined and less dangerous form of vengeance. 
They arrange matters for the men they love so that life just seems like death. I sometimes wonder what life would be like without women. So quiet and peaceful. And so very, very dull. Stay tuned for Burns and Allen next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for George Burns and Gracie Allen. They worked together as a successful comedy team that entertained vaudeville, film, radio, and television audiences for over 40 years. Their radio show was inducted into the National Radio Hall of Fame in 1994. And their TV series received a total of 11 Primetime Emmy Award nominations and produced what TV Guide ranked number 56 on its 1997 list of the 100 greatest episodes of all time. They were inducted into the Television Hall of Fame in 1988. Now, here's the radio show where George becomes a butler. Starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. With yours truly, Bill Goodwin, and the music of Meredith Wilson and his orchestra. Here's Meredith Wilson with his chiffon arrangement of If I Loved You.
in at the Burns home today, we find George and Gracie discussing the problems of their next-door neighbor, Meredith Wilson. So, Meredith is going to drop over, George. He has a date tonight, and I want you to give him some advice about women. What? Again? <laughs> Why doesn't his father have a talk with him? Oh, 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 his father is even shyer with women than Meredith. Oh, so he got a shyness from his father. Yes, and it not only affected Meredith, but his ten brothers and fourteen sisters. <laughs> uh, well, I don't think I'm the one to advise him about women. Oh, I bet you know plenty about women, George Burns. I wouldn't be surprised if you used to be quite a ladies' man. Me? Oh, a little, maybe. You handsome rascal. I'll bet you were plenty of competition for Francis X. Bushman. <laughs> yeah, took plenty of dames away from George Ellis, too. Well, don't tell me you don't know anything about women. I knew the first time I kissed you that you'd been kissed before. You were dynamite. <laughs> really? Sure. You kissed almost as good as I did. Thanks. So you will have a talk with Meredith? Well, I guess it is sort of selfish of me to keep all my vast knowledge about women to myself. They didn't used to call me Volcano Lips for nothing. <laughs> Why, you've forgotten more about love than most men ever knew. Yeah, I guess I have. I wish you could remember a little of it. <laughs> I'll try. Oh, this must be Meredith. Come in. Howdy, folks. Hello, Meredith. Gracie tells me you have a date tonight, Meredith. I surely have. Her name is uh, Peggy, and I'm awful anxious to make a good impression, so I thought I'd like to get some advice from the old master himself. Well, you've come to the right place. Yeah, I know Bill Goodwin usually drops in. <laughs> Meredith, it's possible that I can tell you some things about women. Oh, well, thanks, George, but you probably just heard the same rumors I have. Well, listen, Meredith, uh, no amount of talking about women is going to take the place of experience. You ought to get out and rub elbows with them. Is that fun? <laughs> it's keen. Hi, folks. Oh, hello, Bill. Hi, Bill. Hello, Master. Hi, Meredith. Say, Bill, I've got a date with a girl tonight, and and I wish you'd please give me some now, advice. Now, some time, uh, please, Meredith. I've got a big problem of my own right now. But, Bill, I... Meredith, I'm sorry. I've got something on my mind right now beside women. I'll see him later, Meredith, when he's thinking normally again. <laughs> well, okay, I'll drop back then. What's up, Bill? Yes, it must be pretty important if you refuse to talk about women. Gracie, I don't think only about women. I think of my career, too. And that's what this is about. I want fame and success and lots of money. Well, of course you do. Sure. Look at the women I'll be able to get. <laughs> Bill, suppose you tell us what this is all about. Well, George, there's a part open at my studio that I'm dying to get. It's in a picture called Love in a Cottage. And who do you think I'd be playing opposite? Ingrid Bergman. Really? Yeah. Can you imagine Ingrid Bergman and me playing opposite each other? What an opportunity. What a chance to become the biggest picture name in the country. Well, sure. And of course, it'll help me, too. <laughs> He's murder, isn't he? Well, Bill, what's the matter? Can't you get the part? Well, I don't know, Gracie. You see, the producer, Mr. Sherwood, is one of these guys who believes in realism. 
The part is a married man, and he feels only a married man could play it. Well, there's only one answer, Bill. Get married. Well, sure. Pick out one of the girls you're engaged to and surprise her. <laughs> no, I thought of a better way, Gracie. I told the producer that I was married, that I already have a wife. What? Well, yeah, I've even invited him to dinner tonight, so now i got to produce a wife. You don't know where I could borrow one, do you? Well, no, I'm afraid I... Uh, come in. Good afternoon, Mrs. Burns. <laughs> Here's your mail. Oh, thank you, Mr. Postman. Did I interrupt a family conference? Oh, no, no. We're trying to help Mr. Goodwin. He wants to borrow somebody's wife. Oh, but Mr. Goodwin's is sort of a wolf. If he borrowed a wife, he might keep her. No, no, I wouldn't. Darn it, I was going to lend you mine. <laughs> no, no thanks, Mr. Postman. Not even if I threw in a week's salary? <laughs> no. My government pension? Nope. No matter what shape she's returned in, I won't ask for a refund. <laughs> no, we better forget it. I don't understand you, Mr. Postman. If you're that anxious to get rid of your wife, why did you ever marry her? Oh, I was young, and it was spring. And the hollyhocks were blooming, and the chickadees were singing. Oh, I Since then, I've been arrested a dozen times for pulling up hollyhocks and throwing them at chickadees. Well, Mr. Postman, I'd like to oblige, but you know how it is. Yes, I know. I'm stuck with my mailbag and that female, too. <laughs> Well, goodbye. Remember, keep smiling. <laughs> well, Bill, I guess you'll have to look somewhere else for a wife. Well, I was, uh, I was sort of hoping that you'd play the part, Gracie. Me? Well, yes, we could invite the producer here for dinner. I don't think much of the idea. Oh, neither do I, Bill. Oh, you better forget it. Okay, Gracie, I just picked you because I wanted the producer to think my wife was as charming as Ingrid Bergman. Well, I'll be running along. As charming as Ingrid Bergman? Oh, yes. And just as beautiful. Well, I'll be running along. I'm as beautiful as she? Oh, sure. And even more talented. Well, I'll be running along. More talented than Ingrid Bergman, me? Well, easily. Well, I'll be... Oh, sit down, Bill. <laughs> oh, uh, what's your hurry? Then you'll do it? Well, yes. You can call a producer and invite him here for dinner. <laughs> I already did. <laughs> well, I'll run home and get dressed. See you later, wifey dear. Here's Meredith Wilson and his chiffon arrangement of that top tune, Till the End of Time.
I'll be done. You let Bill flatter you into it. Imagine going for that line of boys. Well, I... Anyone who falls for flattery is a dope. Besides, what'll I do while Bill is your husband? Hide in the attic? Well, no. You can be our butler. <laughs> butler? Nothing doing. Oh, all right, dear. I just wanted to show Bill that you're a finer actor than Charles Lawton. That's all, but forget it. Me? <laughs> finer than Lawton? Oh, yes, and much more convincing. But that's all right. Forget it. More convincing? I am? Well, of course. No one could play an English butler like you could, but forget it. Don't try to talk me out of this part. <laughs> uh, Blimey, Governor, the bloomin' dinner is safe. Shall I pass the tomatoes? Oh, then you'll do it. Uh, quite, quite, old bean. Frightfully amusing and all that sort of rock. Oh, oh yeah, cute. <laughs> now, Bill, if you hope to convince this movie producer that you're married, you better have some lessons in how to act like a husband. Oh, Gracie, I don't need any lessons. Well, I'd better try you out. Now, I'm your wife, and I say, um, do you love me, darling? Yes. Yes, my beautiful queen. I love you deeply, devotedly, tenderly, passionately. And I shall always love you. You're the singlest man I ever saw. <laughs> now, I'll show you how a husband answers that question. George is in the den reading the paper. George? Huh? Do you love me, darling? Uh-huh. Close the door. Well, see what I mean? Gee, the little man's a ball of fire, isn't he? Are all husbands like that? Oh, no, not right away. The first year, they sit across the breakfast table and tell you how beautiful you are. That lasts until the first anniversary. Oh, I see. I think that's why they call it the paper anniversary. From then on, they'd rather read the paper. <laughs> Say, what time is the producer coming to dinner? Well, Mr. Sherwood will be here at 7.30, George, which means you'd better hurry and teach Bill how to act like a husband. <clears throat> well, it's very simple, Bill. Now, go outside and come in like you're a husband, uh, a husband coming, coming to dinner. Okay. Darling. Dearest. Here's a big hug and kiss from your loving husband. Mmm. Uh, we better run through that again. <laughs> Here's a big hug and kiss from your loving husband. Mmm. Uh, once more. Grace, I don't like this. How do you know you've never tried it? <laughs> <laughs> never mind. Get on with the scene. And, Bill, try to remember that you're a tired, hungry husband coming home after a hard day's work. Don't be so agreeable. Oh, okay. What do we got for dinner, wife? Oh, we're having the most wonderful dinner, dear. First, there's caviar. Ah, uh, now you're working. <laughs> then, uh, turtle soup. Ah. Uh. Then, pheasant under glass. Ah. Uh. Then, crepe Suzette. Ah. Uh. <laughs> Okay, that's enough rehearsal. <laughs> Come in. I've been waiting in the little old car for an hour now, Dimples, honey. Dimples, honey? 
Well, that's me. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm sorry, baby. Folks, I'd like you to meet the one and only girl, the girl I really love, Miss, um... What's your name again, kid? Cynthia Lou Culpepper. Oh, that's right. Glad to meet you, Cynthia Lou. Oh, the pleasure's mine, sir. I've always wanted to meet Bill's father. <laughs> and this common lady must be Bill's sister. Oh, no, no. I'm his wife. His wife? Well, uh, just temporarily. You see, I was George's wife until Bill came in. And now I'm Bill's wife this evening. But tomorrow, I'll be George's wife again, and Ingrid Bergman will be Bill's wife. But when they finish Love in the Cottage, maybe you'll be his wife. Just remember, this is Hollywood. <laughs> well, it certainly is living up to its reputation. I'll see you later, Mr. Dimples Goodwin. Wait, Cynthia Lou. Unhand me, you... you Yankee. <laughs> Holy smoke, now I am in trouble. What a mess. Oh, gee, I'm glad you're still here, Bill. Will you give me some advice now, will you, Bill? Huh, huh? Please, now Bill, will you, huh, Bill, please? Huh, huh? Later, Meredith, later. I'm well, busy. Uh, Bill, just tell me the first thing I should say to Peggy tonight. Oh, go jump in the lake. Gee, why couldn't I have thought of that? Better hurry up and get dressed, Gracie. That producer will be here any minute. Oh, yes, dear. Give me a hand with this girl, will you, dear? It's so tight. Okay. Oh, one more pull. There. Oh, darling, it makes you look wonderful. <laughs> well, I knew it was the only way I'd ever get those tuxedo pants to fit me. Haven't worn them for ten years. Oh, how about it? Can you get them fastened? Nope. They don't quite reach. Well, here, I'll help you. Uh, pull in your tummy. Okay. No, pull in your chest. Okay. No, pull in your tummy. Okay. No. Why don't you make up your mind? Well, I can't tell which is which. <laughs> I should never have agreed to do this. I'm worried about the part of the butler. Yeah, me too. The part that won't fit into these pants. <laughs> now, uh, take a deep breath, dear. Let's try it again. There, there, I got it. But for heaven's sakes, George, whatever you do, don't bend over. Don't worry. Oh, dear, that may be Mr. Sherwood already. Slip on your coat. Mm. But what'll we do? Bill isn't back yet. Oh, that's perfectly right. How do you do? I'm Lawrence Sherwood, the movie producer. Oh, how do you do? Um, come right in, Mr. Sherwood. I'm Mrs. Goodwin. Uh, Burns, take Mrs. Sherwood's hat. Yes, madam. Oh, oh, how clumsy of me. I dropped it. I'll pick it up. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, you ripped your pants, sweetheart. Did you call the butler sweetheart? Oh, I meant Burns. Excuse me, Mr. Sherwood. I'll, uh, have to take him in and put different pants on him. <laughs> hmm. I wonder if Bill knows about this. Well, that was a delightful dinner, Mrs. Goodwin. Mrs. Good... Oh, oh, yes. Well, thank you. Um, you may clear the table, Burns. Very good, madam. 
Um, Hubby, dear, take Mr. Sherwood into the living room, and I'll have Vern serve the coffee in there. All right, lovey dove. Well, it's a charming place, yeah. Well, George, the dinner went off without a hitch. Now, uh, bring in the coffee and uh, some brandy, too, into the living room. Now, wait a minute. I've only got one bottle of brandy, and I've been saving it for ten years. Bring it in, dear. But we never say brandy after dinner. Maybe you Burnses don't, but we good ones know how to live. <laughs> well, I'm not going to let those two guys drink up my precious brandy. But look what's at stake, dear. A pot opposite Ingrid Bergman. And just think of her, George. Beautiful, luscious, divine Ingrid Bergman. Now, how about the brandy? Bergman can have a drink, but not those two guys. George, have I ever forced you to do anything against your will? Yes. Well, I'm still at it. Bring in the brand. <laughs> yes, and I'm really settled down. Yes, sir, Mr. Sherwood, there's nothing like being a family man. Oh, you're right, Bill. And if I may say so, you've a mighty pretty young wife. Well, of course you may say so, Mr. Sherwood. <laughs> After all, you're a guest. Uh... Thank you. But I'm not really as young as I look. I'm way over 20. Really? Oh, yes. Weeks and weeks. <laughs> oh, uh, Burns, we're waiting. The brandy, madam. Well, don't just stand there, Burns. Offer some to Mr. Sherwood. Yes, madam. You wouldn't want any of this brandy, would you, Mr. Sherwood? Why, I wouldn't mind a little. I wouldn't take too much. It's lousy. Why, Burns, you let Mr. Sherwood have some of that brandy. Certainly, and take all you want, Mr. Sherwood. There's nothing cheap about us Goodwins. Hand Mr. Sherwood the bottle, Burns. Yes, sir. Very good, sir. Well, uh, don't you want any, sweetheart? Certainly I do, but he'll drink up all the brandy. <laughs> To my husband. Oh, uh, <clears throat> beg pardon, madam. Um, don't you want any, sweetheart? Well, I'll have a drop or so, lover. When Mr. Sherwood has had his, I'll finish the bottle. What? Burns, bring us a box of cigars. Cigars? Yes, they're in the sideboard in the dining room, the second floor. I drawer... know where they are. <laughs> Rather odd sort of fellow, that butler. Well, yes, isn't he, though? I notice you and he keep referring to each other as sweetheart. Yeah, oh, that. Oh, well, you know what you have to do to keep health these days. <laughs> now, Mr. Sherwood, about that picture, Love in a Cottage. Oh, I yes, think... I'm glad you brought that up. You know, Bill, when you told me that you were married and settled down, I didn't believe it. You see, I had heard that you were a wolf. A wolf? Lover, what's a wolf? <laughs> oh, he's so innocent. A wolf, Billy Boy, is a man who stands on street corners and whistles at girls. What for? <laughs> well, darling, so they'll get in his car and he can hug them and kiss them. Oh. Oh, any man who'd do that should be run out of Hollywood. Well, it... Would be a pretty dull place with just women. Yes, yes. Yes, you wouldn't want to be the only man left among thousands of women. <laughs> oh, no, no, of course I would. I have 
never looked at any woman except my dear, sweet wife. Come in. Bill, you just got to give me that advice. It's getting late. Oh, not now, Meredith. We have a guest. Oh. Well, I'm uh, sorry to interrupt, sir, but I need Bill's help. You see, he's got so many girls. Girls? Bill? Uh, 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 didn't Bill tell you about our girls? Oh, no, darn it. It slipped my mind. Well, well, how many have you got? Two. Four. How many? Four. Two. <laughs> well, just don't let him kid you. Now, Bill's got a whole lot more than that. Really? And how old are they? Well, most of them are around 18. 18? <laughs> Mrs. Goodwin, you just said that you were barely over 20. How could you have daughters 18? Uh, well, um, <clears throat> once we got married, we decided not to wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, uh, I don't exactly know what's going on here, but uh, I just came to get some advice from the biggest wolf in Hollywood. And just who is that? Cigars? Barry Sands. <laughs> Burns the homewrecker. Huh? Uh, Mr. Wilson wants some advice from you, Burns. But take him out of here, you lady killer. I don't want my husband to hear that kind of talk. But you... Quickly, Burns. Take him out. I don't want my ears soiled. Okay. That butler is such a wolf. Yeah. So now you understand what Mr. Wilson was talking about. All but one thing. Those grown daughters. Oh, uh, well, they're not really grown. Um, one's two and the other's three. But Mr. Wilson said there were 18. Oh, well, they're a little large for their age. <laughs> Where are they now? I'd, I'd like to see them. Uh, well, we have them in uh, boarding school. Yes, yes. We feel that every child should learn how to board. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, two children. You really are settled down, aren't you, Bill? Oh, oh you bet, Mr. Sherwood. Now, about that picture, Love in a Cottage. Oh, I... yes, I'm glad you mentioned it. Now that I see you're really happily married, I think that... Come in. Now, looky here. Poor little old me has been kicked around. All poor little old me can stand. Oh, uh -huh, poor little old us. <laughs> I demand that Dimples marry me right away. Dimples? Who's Dimples? Cigars? Well, really, Burns, this is too much. Huh? You take this girl right out and marry her. Marry her? Now she here. Get going, Dimples. Okay. <laughs> oh, what a man. Does this sort of thing happen often? Oh, constantly. Why, Burns is responsible for half the women on Mr. Anthony's program. <laughs> yes. Really, dear, you must fire that awful chaser. He may lead me astray. Now, about the lead in your picture, Mr. Sherwood. No, it's I... all settled, Bill. I found the perfect leading man. Oh, good. Good. And, um, who is he, Mr. Sherwood? Cigars? There he stands. Burns the butler. Huh? 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 But I thought I'd get the lead in love in a cottage. That's what I've been trying to tell you, Bill. Huh? We're not making love in a cottage. Instead, we're doing a picture called On the Prowl, the story of a wolf. And Burns is just the type. Oh, no! <laughs> I'm going to be in pictures? You'll be the new Van Johnson, the heartthrob of every American woman. You mean he'll be making a movie star salary from now on? Until he's too old to walk before a camera. Oh, George, what a wonderful year we have ahead of us. <laughs> 
Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Lone Ranger, followed by Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.